0: You are Locked On Ravens, your daily Baltimore Ravens podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome back to another Taco Tuesday episode of Locked On Ravens. I am your host, Kevin Ostrecker of Ravens Wire. And since it is Taco Tuesday, that means that Spencer Schultz of Baltimore beat down has returned. Spencer, the Ravens capping off the regular season with a 28 to 10 victory over the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now it's a week of stress-free football for the Ravens as they prepare for the divisional round. How are you feeling?
1: Feeling fantastic. And to anyone who is questioning whether the Ravens should keep their starters in to quote unquote, keep the ball rolling or keep the momentum rolling or whatever, you got to feel pretty stupid right now. Because that was a statement win and a testament to how well coached this football team is that their backups could get in there and whip the Steelers behind uh, both sides of the ball. So it feels like a stronger win than, let's say, if they played all the active starters and beat the Steelers, that they were able to do so at home in the rain with RG3, no Yonda, no Stanley, no Ingram, all those guys. So it's a fantastic feeling to know that, you know, the Steelers couldn't even hang with the Ravens backups.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned it, this team is so well coached, and I kind of want to get into that for a minute, Spencer, because the Ravens have obviously, you know, in my opinion, the coach of the year in John Harbaugh, and I saw there was some list on Twitter that had eight coaches and not one of them was John Harbaugh, that was a little ridiculous, but how much was this win against the Steelers kind of a testament to how good this coaching staff is at adapting and putting in a system that... Anybody can thrive, and we know the Lamar Jackson effect, and we know how elite he is. But this offense really didn't seem to miss a beat. Yes, only 28 points, and that was aided by a special teams touchdown. But it just seems like the players on the field, regardless, you mentioned no Yonda, no Stanley, no Ingram, none of those guys. The players on the field and against the Steelers did not miss a beat. How much does that have to do with the coaching?
1: It has to do a ton with the coaching and the culture that they've established. This team has tunnel vision through and through that their goal is to win football games, that statistics are irrelevant to personal success. They are only in unison for the team goal, the goal to win a game, to keep winning games and to win a championship. And it's a culture that kind of was difficult for John Harbaugh to establish as he came into an established locker room with guys like Ray Lewis, yada, yada, yada. And, There was a big turnover where we saw Bernard Pollard and Ed Reed kind of, you know, have some rumblings against Harbaugh here and now. And then the whole Ray Rice debacle. And it kind of took some years to to get into the culture. And John Harbaugh is a guy who loves the, the art of war type stuff and the militaristic attitude and the fraternal feeling of running a team. And it seems like they finally have guys that all buy into the brotherhood. And it's cheesy and cliche, but it's also the way to win and the way to be successful. And it feels like the team has now bought completely in 100% to the culture, to playing for the brother next to you, to playing for your coaches and your family and your city and all that good stuff. And that's all kind of hearsay and a little bit figurative, but It's uh, definitely something that has established the Ravens as a contender, and it's the same reason why maybe Marcus Peters wants to stay in Baltimore for a little bit cheaper than what he would have gotten on the open market because he has never missed the playoffs. He played in a Super Bowl last year and recognizes that they've got a winner here, and it's a young winner, and if you have an attitude or an ego, you're welcome to be yourself like a Marcus Peters or anyone else who wants to be a goofball, Matt Judon. But uh, if you're not playing for the man beside you, then you're out the door.
0: Yeah. John Harbaugh's done an exceptional job at kind of establishing a culture where, you know, everybody feels welcome. And I think, you know, Marcus Peters felt wanted by the Ravens. He was a guy who was kind of shipped off by the Chiefs and shipped off by the Rams. But from what the Ravens players have been saying about him, he is just one example of, you know, a guy coming to Baltimore, loving the culture and kind of meshing in a very well and you know a quick way but Spencer it's wild card weekend the New England Patriots take on the Tennessee Titans the Patriots fall to the third seed after their loss to the Dolphins and the Chiefs win and then the Houston Texans host the Buffalo Bills when you look at those two AFC matchups in terms of you know looking at things that the Ravens are looking for What do you have your eye on? I want
1: to see if Josh Allen and the Bills can play confidently, especially on the road, and kind of get things rolling, or if they're a little bit scared and bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and a little hesitant because if the Bills can get the offense clicking at all, they can be quite dangerous. Their defense is formidable against both the run and the pass. They have playmakers. They have stout defenders up front. They have Trey White, really good safety tandem. They gave the Ravens a lot of of trouble, but their offense wasn't really able to click. So if Josh Allen's able to get things rolling, that's scary. Looking at the Titans, can they keep the magic going? Can their defense play playoff football? Will Ryan Tannehill continue to kind of find the lucky seven or whatever you want to call it? the magic eight ball and and keep striking gold with throws to AJ Brown and Derrick Henry able to keep rolling. So they're obviously a scary team. That's been incredibly hot since Tannehill took over. And then looking to the Texans, they've been horrendous in the playoffs. They don't play good football when it's playoff time. They're very predictable on offense seems like they're really conservative on offense as well. J.J. Watt is set to possibly return, whether it's this week or next week. And that's going to be a huge impact and kind of free up Whitney Merciless and some of the other defensive linemen to go make some plays and uh, not get double teamed and have the attention off of them. So are the Texans ready to take a leap? Because Bill O'Brien has been pretty disappointing overall in the playoffs. Uh, the Patriots, I, don't, I truly don't think the Patriots are in it to win it this year. Their offense is anemic defense is very good but can't really carry the water all the way and they're not crazy good against teams that run the ball well it's going to be hard for them to magically click into place and everyone keeps thinking that's going to happen for whatever reason as it's, it's happened at times, but there's never been this much of a lag in late season out of the Patriots and kind of the frustrations that we've seen. And I mean, losing at home to the Miami Dolphins to close out and, and keep you from getting a bye. Tom Brady throwing his helmet, having to immediately go and game plan and pretend that none of that happened and that they're not frustrated. I don't see it uh, in the cards for the Patriots this year. So we shall see how
0: that plays out. And the last time the Patriots had to play in the wild card round was almost a decade ago when the Ravens defeated them in that game. And, Spencer, finally, before we head to the break, the weather in Baltimore and the weather across the league, you know, you can't predict it. But the Ravens have been through trials and tribulations when it comes to this weather. And I think that that is going to be to their advantage. They've played in games where the weather has just been terrible, pouring rain, high winds. And that can affect a football team. And we've even heard Lamar Jackson and his press conferences say that the weather got into his head a bit and it was kind of influencing the way that he was playing the game. How much of a factor is the weather? I know we've talked about it before on this show, but now it's playoff time. There's a whole nother layer to it. With the Ravens being so well tested in the weather, does that work to their advantage?
1: I think it does work to their advantage. They're used to it. Justin Tucker has been unbelievable in the rain and seemingly almost better than he is in perfect conditions, adds a little extra intensity for him, makes a little extra fun. He is a psycho like that, but they're used to it. Lamar Jackson does tend to press a little bit in the rain, and it feels like he doesn't have confidence in deep shots, but he relies on his legs a little bit more, and he's going to be rested. He's going to be prepared. If we see inclement weather, Ravens are used to it. It's kind of become their domain at this point. Last year, there were games against the Broncos in the pouring rain, against the Bucks in the freezing rain. This year, we've... Seen time and time again. In Seattle, it was wet. Against the 49ers was a downpour. Then Pittsburgh, another downpour. It was wet in Kansas City. It was wet in Pittsburgh the first time these two teams met. So at this point, it has to play into their advantage, and they've only lost one of those games. They still limit turnovers. And the best thing you can do in the rain is run the ball. Who's better in the history of the NFL than running the ball? No one.
0: Yeah, the Ravens have been exceptional in, you know, the weather and I do think it's going to work to their advantage when it comes to the playoffs in a time where, you know, players like Lamar Jackson has only been there once. And, you have rookies like Hollywood Brown is their first time. The Ravens are going to be relying on their veteran experience to kind of guide them there. And I think that's another important aspect, especially when it comes to the playoffs. But we are going to go to break. And when we get back, Spencer and I are going to be talking about the offense in the Ravens 28-10 win over the Steelers, led by Robert Griffin III. So stay tuned for that, and we will be right back. But before we do that, we talk about physical fitness a lot. But there's another side of the game that's just as important. I'm talking about mental fitness. Calm, the number one app for sleep and meditation, is teamed up with LeBron James to help train your mind. For LeBron James, sleep is an important part of his mental fitness routine. For a limited time, our listeners can join LeBron using Calm with a 40% discount to an annual membership at calm.com slash locked on. Unlock content to help your focus, ease stress, and sleep better. Get started at calm.com slash locked on. That's calm.com slash locked on. Welcome back to the second segment of this Taco Tuesday Locked on Ravens episode. Kevin Ostreicher is still with you here with Spencer Schultz. And Spencer, Talking about the offense, they were able to put up 21 points. Obviously, the special teams got them a touchdown to make it 28. But all eyes were on Robert Griffin III. The former Baylor Bear finished 11 of 21 for 96 yards and did have an interception on one of the game's final plays. He also had eight carries for 50 yards, no scores on the ground. But this was a game where people were looking at Robert Griffin III. Maybe this was an audition tape for maybe a starting job next year for a team that's quarterback needy. But Robert Griffin III wants to start, and he wants to prove himself. Did he do that? What did you see out of him in this game on Sunday? Robert Griffin was a
1: game manager plus. He executed the offense. It felt like they were running essentially the same offense that we see every Sunday from Lamar Jackson and Greg Roman. It was tough. It was raining really hard. The Steelers weren't able to complete anything deep. The Ravens and the Steelers combined to complete one pass each. Over 10 yards downfield, Robert Griffin was able to have a 20-yard strike to the right sideline. Develin Hodges was able to have a 21-yard strike to the left sideline. Nothing went over 20 yards in the air, and it was tough. But Griffin's ball fakes were outstanding. He showed that he still has wheels. He actually ran faster. He hit 20.07 miles per hour, which was faster than any carry that Lamar Jackson has had this year and showed that he's still got the stuff he's a competitor he was very frisky he was very animated confident had outstanding decisions on read options ball fakes getting rid of the ball he did have a couple blemishes where he kind of took too long to throw the ball away and felt a little awkward at times and he certainly is rusty but he was playing with backup so I think that he showed that he still has the athleticism he's still ready to roll and while he's maybe not as physically imposing as Lamar Jackson and
0: able to take some of the punishment that he does still have the wheels. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, Robert Griffin III did what he was asked to do, and that was to go out there and win the football game. And that's exactly what the Ravens were able to do. But someone who I kind of pinpointed as an X-factor in this game was Gus Edwards. And, you know, I think that he did just that. He had 21 carries for 130 yards. And, I mean, we also have to talk about Justice Hill. 10 carries for 39 yards in a touchdown. And it seems like... You know, with Mark Ingram's injury and him maybe not being at full strength, I'm confident in Gus Edwards, and I'm confident in Justice Hill to be able to carry the load in the worst-case scenario that Mark Ingram isn't able to play at all, but also if he is able to play but not maybe to full strength, and maybe he has to sit out a few snaps that he would, you know, maybe play if he was fully healthy. What did you see out of Gus Edwards and Justice Hill, and are you confident in them heading into the playoffs?
1: Absolutely confident. It would be a little bit of a shortcoming because— Mark Ingram is so versatile. He has veteran experience. He's a good, calming presence next to Lamar Jackson. He brings a certain amount of confidence and swagger. Very physical runner. He's a smart runner, all that good stuff. Gus Edwards has shown to be able to open up and really get into the second level, make guys miss, and stretch out some bigger runs a little bit, So more so than Mark Ingram. And Gus Edwards has suffered at times where, it feels like when he comes into the game, it's usually in heavier packages, and everyone knows he's going to get the ball. So we see very stacked boxes for Gus Edwards, but he has continued to progress since he was promoted from the practice squad last year, and uh, is one of the he's the seventh leading ball carrier in terms of yards per carry. He has been getting healthy chunks all throughout his short career, and I think he can certainly carry the load as we saw on Sunday behind a backup offensive line for the most part so it was great to see Edwards able to keep rolling and loosen up and get the tough yards and also open up a couple of times make some defenders miss in space and has long speed that wasn't really there as much last year so he's leaned up we've seen that in 2019 and able to be a little bit more explosive Justice Hill is a bullet he gets shot out of a cannon and he is very physical especially for his size between the tackles, we saw that on his touchdown run. He's able to punish defenders more than you would anticipate. He has no fear running between the tackles and has really good pad level, so his balance is great. He could use a little more patience at times, but it's a different element. It brings a different aspect in, from uh, Gus Edwards a little bit with some more speed. He's really good as a pass catcher, both of them. A little shaky in pass pro at times. They'll miss some blitzes and miss some things. And luckily, Lamar Jackson's back there and is elusive, but you're also subjecting Lamar Jackson to maybe some hits that he doesn't need to be taking in the backfield. So I would love to have Mark Ingram, but I think that the running game won't necessarily suffer if he's not able to go in the divisional round or the AFC Championship or whatever, God forbid. So we'll see how it ends up panning out, but I'm pretty comfortable in Gus Edwards with a supplement of Justice Hill to be able to keep having... One of the best, if not the best, rushing attacks in NFL history.
0: Yeah, and I think they're going to keep it rolling as well. And something that Mark Ingram also brings, in, we've mentioned it before, is you know his ability as a pass catcher. So I think that with Ingram, you're you are losing something when he's not on the field. But I am confident that Edwards and Hill can you know pick up the slack for him. But you know, speaking of pass catchers, the Ravens in this game against the Steelers. 11 receptions for 96 yards from their pass catchers. Hayden Hurst led the team with 35 yards. He had two catches. Uli Sneed had three catches for 22 yards. Marquise Brown played pretty much this entire football game, something that I wasn't expecting. Did you see anything that popped out in terms of the receiving threats, you know, minus Mark Andrews, who's, you know, obviously the leading target getter and Lamar Jackson's favorite target
1: it was tough to get a gauge as the Ravens didn't attack deep, and it felt like the pass game was just supplemental to the run game. I saw Hayden Hurst able to make tough catches as usual. Willie Sneed getting physical, bringing a very strong presence over the middle of the field and being able to break away from defenders a little bit and make some things happen. Uh Hollywood, it was good to see him out there. It was good to see him get one last, you know, trial run and a little bit more experience and uh, a little more time as he was maybe not going to play. And then all of a sudden he was active, ends up playing the entire game. So I think that Hollywood is going to be elemental or excuse me, imperative for the Ravens success in the playoffs as that deep threat. He's going to have to make a couple of plays if the Ravens want to go far. And a lot of times teams are very scared of Hollywood. They put a lot of attention on him. They give him a big cushion and don't want him to get deep as he has those burners and really good tracking ability. So we didn't really get to see that in this game as much. It felt like the Ravens didn't want to take a long time in the pocket playing against one of the most explosive pass rushes in the NFL with backup offensive linemen. So there weren't a lot of deep concepts. There weren't a lot of strong pocket concepts or anything where Robert Griffin needed to hold the ball a ton and uh, it wasn't a game where you were able to draw a ton. I haven't watched the All-22 yet, but I did see next-gen stats. Put up the separation numbers from this game, and it looked like Jaleel Scott had a little bit of trouble separating, which, I mean, kind of makes sense. They didn't get a ton of targets or anything of the sort, and not a lot of play designs went his way. Uh, Hayden Hurst led the way for the Ravens in terms of separation. Average 4.3 yards of separation per snap, which is crazy good. The league average is 2.83 yards. so He was well above that. So was Willie Sneed. Uh, and then we saw Nick Boyle was pretty manned up for the most part with only 1.11 yards of separation per route run. And it was, it was a tough game in the airways on both sides of the field. The rain was heavy. It was cold out and very difficult conditions to throw the ball in as we've seen in a similar situation against the 49ers.
0: Yeah, this was, you know, a running game for the Ravens. You know, only eleven completions for Aburger from the third, twenty-one pass attempts compared to the forty-four rushes that Baltimore ended up having. And part of the reason this Ravens running game was so successful in this game against Pittsburgh, averaged five point one yards per carry, was because of the offensive line. Now, this is minus Ronnie Stanley, and this is minus Marshall Yonda, and Patrick McCarry got some rest at points, and Bradley Bozeman got some rest at points. But this was an offensive line that was headed by James Hurst and Hronis Gross, who got some time, Ben Powers, Parker Einger, a lot of different combinations, and they held their weight. Were you impressed, Spencer, with this offensive line on Sunday?
1: Absolutely, and I think it shows that the scheme that Greg Roman has dialed up, the coaching the offensive line has had, the depth that they have are all awesome and the Ravens obviously broke the rushing record. They're the only team to throw for 200 yards and run for 200 yards per game throughout a regular season. All that good stuff. But it always felt like a lot of that was because of the threat of Lamar Jackson running, so maybe it made life a little bit easier. I think this debunks that a little bit, and that was a theory that I had, so I feel a little more confident in this offensive line unit. And Orlando Brown really toughed it out. We saw Ben Powers have a great game. McCarry has stacked back to back to back to back. Really strong games now taking over for Matt Scurra, James Hurst, two games, played this year, n- nothing to sneeze at, no huge plays let up. He's definitely more comfortable as a tackle and uh, one-on-one athlete than he is inside trying to win with those quick little strong leverage battles. So looks like uh, Hurst might be able to fill in if called on and do an admirable job, God forbid. And it was awesome to watch. I mean, they kicked the Steelers' butts all game long. Very few plays were blown up behind the line of scrimmage, gave good lanes to run through, finished blocks, executed, gave RG3 a little bit of time when he needed, kept moving, kept their heads on a swivel, looking for action. And at this point, I mean, the Ravens' offensive line has paved the way for a number of records. One of the craziest stats to me is that they had 37 more rushing first downs than any other team. The Ravens ran for 2,048 yards before contact. 24 NFL teams ran for less than the Ravens ran for before contact and oh by the way the Ravens lead the NFL in yards after contact as well So 2,000 yards on the ground without being touched is insane a testament to the receivers boykin roberts and sneed on the outside getting those perimeter blocks for those read options when Lamar takes it, Nick Boyle, Pat Ricard, Hayden Hurst, those guys sticking their necks in there, Mark Ingram at times, and then the big uglies have truly dominated. And what the Ravens have decided to do, we're going to leave Ronnie Stanley on an island. He's probably the best left tackle in football right now. Orlando Brown is six foot eight, three 350 pounds, and is only getting better every game. We're going to leave him on an island, and he has Marshall Yonda next to him if he needs him. Marshall Yanda is not going to get a double team. You're going to have to beat him one-on-one and good luck. And then we're going to have Pat McCari and Bradley Bozeman double team somebody. And if you can beat those two guys or win any of those one-on-ones, good for you. But the Ravens are willing to lose that way. And it feels like that's been pretty unstoppable lately.
0: Yeah, what a performance by this offensive line. And it just goes to show you're right. If somebody does go down, you know, knock on wood, they don't. They have the depth behind them to still put out, you know, solid players in the scheme that Greg Roman has absolutely caters to the strengths of each individual player. But we are going to go to break now. And when we come back for our final segment, we're going to be getting into the defense and how they were able to hold Duck Hodges in that Steelers offense to just 10 points. So stay tuned for that. And we will be right back. Welcome back to the final segment of this Locked on Ravens episode. Kevin Ostreicher still with Spencer Schultz. We've talked about the Ravens offense, but now let's talk about the Ravens defense and how they were able to hold the Steelers to just 10 points. What did you see out of Dodd Martindale and his scheme in order to hold Devlin Hodges just 95 yards passing, only had nine completions out of 25 attempts, and of course, no James Conner in the running game, but he did a phenomenal job. What was his scheme and what was his plan?
1: Blitz, blitz, and more blitzing. As usual, make Duck Hodges throw to someone one-on-one. The Ravens harassed Hodges routinely, make forced him to be accurate downfield, on the run, on the move, with pressure in his face. Didn't let up. Many big chunk plays. There were a couple. uh, Deontay Johnson was able to elude Marcus Peters' coverage a little bit and have a nice toe-tap on the sideline on a well-thrown ball. But it was good coverage, required a good bro. Benny Snell did rumble a couple of times. He had a 19 yard gain and a couple of things, but for the most part, especially in the second half, they just truly shut the Steelers down. They were bringing pressure from defense to backs. We saw Brandon Carr routinely harass Duck Hodges, at least three blitzes, I believe also able to get a intentional grounding for a safety in the end zone. Brandon Carr also had a sack. Then Matt Judon really started to turn it on, had a few big quarterback hits as well as that strip sack. So the Ravens continue to get pressure, bring the blitz, force receivers to get separation, forcing the quarterback to make the right read on his first read, get the ball there accurately, and catch and run. So it's the formula the Ravens have crafted, and people talk about the offensive revolution, but the Ravens are revolutionizing football from a blitzing standpoint and forcing – Perfect decisions, perfect accuracy, all that good stuff into tight coverage. And it was really solid game from guys like Chuck Clark, Anthony Averett stepped in there a couple of times. Marlon Humphrey didn't come off the field. Marcus Peters was, you know, playing with the same amount of fire that he would in any other game. And up front, we saw Justin Ellis was really disruptive. Chris Wormley played with a ton of energy and Michael Pierce stayed in there, was being disruptive in the pass rushing game, commanding two blocks, opening up lanes for other guys on stunts. And they really just gave it to the Steelers from start to finish. Steelers really only had one good drive where they were able to score a touchdown, and that was two chunk plays and then punching it in down in the goal-to-go
0: situation. So uh,
1: Steelers couldn't move the ball against the Ravens' backup defense.
0: And let's kind of get into the secondary for a minute, Spencer, because, you know, you mentioned how well Brandon Carr played and Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey also played exceptionally well. And this was minus Jimmy Smith, of course, but only four Pittsburgh pass catchers had a reception on the day. And that includes Juju Smith-Schuster who only had two receptions for six yards. Deontay Johnson was their leading receiver, getting over half of the total yards thrown by Duck Hodges. He had four receptions for 54 yards. How was the secondary able to be so successful as the Ravens were, you know, blitzing so many guys?
1: It felt like the Steelers are limited in the amount of routes that they want Hodges to throw. He doesn't have great arm strength, so you don't want to be really targeting the middle of the field a ton and uh, asking him to throw balls into tight windows. So they played the trail technique, and that's what the Ravens love to do. They love to trail, knock the ball away at the end, force a really accurate throw that leads a receiver to a sideline. We saw Marlon Humphrey always in a good position. Uh, Chuck Clark was extremely active. Brandon Carr was playing with his hair on fire, as people like to say, and getting after it, causing quick throws. And he was in the mix downfield all the time. So when the Ravens blitz, they let the receiver commit. You know it's going to be a quick route, and they have good recovery speed. They play through the ball. They wait for the ball to be thrown. They play through the hands of the receiver and slap it away. So if you're not accurate and you don't have strong hands, you're going to suffer.
0: Yeah, definitely. And then moving over to the defensive line, you mentioned Justin Ellis in his play, Chris Warnley as well. And you also got into the outside linebackers. How are they able to be so disruptive against, you know, the Steelers' offensive line, which, you know, is no slouch of an offensive line. They did have some injuries, but how are they able to dominate? Stunts with overloads
1: the Steelers' offensive linemen's heads were spinning at times. Judon was stunting up the gut. Ellis was crossing face. Michael Pierce was crossing face. Obviously, with those DBs blitzing, it, it has the Steelers thinking a ton before the snap. Where's the pressure going to come from? You can kind of see it happening. Ravens were loading the line of scrimmage with six, seven, eight defenders at the line of scrimmage in a two-point stance, looking like they were coming. And sometimes, you know, six, seven, eight of them would come. So it was Really difficult for the Steelers to gauge what was happening, and the Ravens did a good job just simply keeping their footing and pressing in, forcing Hodges to not have a lot of time in the pocket and get the ball out quickly, and that's all you can ask from your defensive line. Get pressure, force the ball to come out quickly, or make a sack. Judon had a huge sack. Brandon Carr as well. We saw a couple quarterback hits. Saw Mikey Pierce get in there, so the defensive line feels like they've found their rhythm. They're starting to understand the timing of the stunts and of the delayed blitzes, and You know, for instance, a huge part of these stunts or of these blitzes is maybe Michael Pierce shooting really far up way past the quarterback to try and get the guard out of the way and leave a huge lane for a DB to come blitz through things like that. So it feels like the nuances of some of these blitzes, some of these stunts have started to be picked up on and the way that the rhythm of a blitz needs to go and how it needs to be choreographed to really open up a lane for someone to come in hot and make a play.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. And finally, Spencer, this is a defensive segment, but we have to talk about the special team because there were a couple big plays that they made, namely the fourth and one from, you know, the own their own 11 and they got it as well as the you know whiffed punt by the Steelers punter, absolutely just you know didn't catch the football, was knocked around into the end zone. And the Ravens seem to be having good special teams coverage. And that was a unit that, after a rough outing against the Jets, seems to have started to get back on the right track. How did you feel about the special teams unit on Sunday?
1: Well, starting with Justin Tucker, he has been money in the rain. He seems to love the challenge of kicking in a a little bit more difficult environment. The Ravens special teams really made the difference in this game. Sam Cook fired off some great punts when needed. Kick coverage was really good. There were no turnovers on special teams from the Ravens. They didn't cough the ball up. They were able to go finesse a touchdown out of the Steelers botched punt situation in the rain. They ran a well-executed fake that was really difficult. It was just a line drive, long snap, a typical long snap, finds a nook and gets a yard, keeps the Steelers' offense off the field, and did an outstanding job. I mean, Jordan Richards has been kind of an unsung hero on this team that was acquired from the Patriots, a former second-round pick, and he was able to make a play getting it into the end zone. So awesome stuff all around from the special teams who had struggled a couple of games here and there, but now the Ravens have kind of relaxed with the roster transitions and cutting and trading and promoting this, that and the other. So they have their unit. They've gotten the practice in. They had a strong final game to really build on. And I say that like they've struggled the whole year. The Ravens special teams is third in DVOA. So one of the very elite special teams units in the league.
0: Yeah. And the Ravens are a special teams team. John Harbaugh, obviously the special teams background. Chris Hewitt, you know, coming from Jerry Rosberg you know, Jerry Rasburg, his mentor, you know, the Ravens are a special teams team and the fact that they're able to get back on track and it seems like everything's starting to click at the right time for the Ravens. But Spencer, that's all I have for you today. Once again, thank you for coming onto the show. When we talk next week, it will not be stress-free football, but the Ravens hosting the divisional round opponent, whoever wins on wild card weekend. And I think that's going to be a fun football game. Yes, sir. Thanks for having
1: me on Kevin. Make sure to leave Kevin those five star reviews, everybody.
0: Thank you, Spencer. I appreciate it. And tomorrow we are going to be getting into more Ravens talk. So stay tuned for that. And I will see you tomorrow.